closed our series in Matthew. We studied the life of Christ, the book of Matthew. We come to the end of Matthew, verse 28, verse chapter 19. Jesus says, Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. So between and during this holiday season, I just want to take some time and talk about the disciplines of grace, those things that are to be evident and growing in our life. Now, when you receive Christ as your Savior, you're a baby Christian. But God has placed within you, just like your parents and your biological genetics, when you partake of Christ, you get all of his spiritual genetics at birth because you get the Holy Spirit. But it takes the discipline of grace to make those decisions. Now, grace is the power and the desire to please God. So if you know Christ, you have Christ in your life, that energy is at work in your life. doesn't mean you're without decision. Or some believers think that, you know, God just does everything, and so we're like inert jello, and he just zaps you once in a while, and you move a little bit. No, no. You're his children. And you have his spiritual DNA, but he desires for you to glorify him by maturing and being like him. This morning, I want to look at Psalm 100. Last week, we looked at personal thanksgiving, personal prayer. Today, I want to look at public worship and the discipline of public praise. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as your children give us understanding, Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled as a teacher, Lord, that the flock, the flock might be fed and challenged. Lord, and if there are those here that do not know you as Savior, Lord, that you might use the gospel to draw them to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 100 is probably one of the most well-known psalms, maybe besides Psalm 23. My grandmother... Emma Berglund taught me this psalm. She loved to memorize scripture. And even after her memory of us was gone, she could still quote the psalms. One of her favorites. This not only is a psalm of worship and a psalm that calls for thanksgiving, it's called the Thanksgiving Psalm, but it is an evangelistic psalm because this is God's call for all the world to worship him. Sometimes we forget that as believers, don't we? We feel so close as part of the family of God because you've trusted him as your savior. And we forget that all other religion besides biblical Christianity is false. It is. It's false. Because we believe the Bible teaches, John 14, 6, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's not a whole bunch of ways to God as long as you're sincere, you get there. It's only through the one, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that was provided, the God-man who came to earth and gave his life. Now, God intended the nation of Israel to be that nation that all the rest of the world came by. Dr. Bookman teaches us when you go to Israel that God created Israel in a special way, so its people were kind of protected, but the whole world went by on that highway that went along from Mesopotamia all the way down to Egypt. And the way things got 
told was by storytellers, and storytellers would tell what this great God had done for his people. In Psalm 67, it's kind of the missionary psalm. It says, God, be gracious to us and bless us and and cause your face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the people with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. That's what God intended. But the truth is, that's not what happened, is it? Because they begin to get this attitude that they were the only ones. So much so that God had to give Peter a vision where three times he brought down that sheet with the unclean animals in it and said, rise, kill, and eat. Peter said, no, I can't do that. Why? Because he was preparing him. He said, what I've cleansed, you don't call unclean. He was preparing him to go to the Gentiles. And God takes the most Jewish of Jews, the Apostle Paul, saves this terrorist from the, of the church, saves him, and sends him to the Gentiles. And he gave that church the commission to go to all the world and make disciples because God desires the worship of the whole earth. Verse 1, it says, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Shout joyfully. Like the sound that soldiers make when the general comes into their presence before the battle. In the army, I know, we had the hua. Dr. Byers tells a story about how he was a medic uh, doctor over there in Iraq, and they had a tank commander, big old hardened guy with big cigar in his mouth. And so he asked a little chaplain they had, and he was Korean, and he didn't speak a lot of English yet. And so he began to pray for us. I want you to bless us before we go to battle. And so this Korean pastor began to pray for them, and as he, he prayed, he, he ran out of English words, and, but he was very good in karate, so he was just praying in Korean, and he was like this, and he was like this, very powerful. Tank commander didn't understand anything he was saying, but when he got done and he said amen, the tank commander took the cigar out of his mouth and said, hoo-ah. This shout that he's talking about is the shout that people who love their king make, a shout of loyalty and of worship when the king appears. Oh, we're going to shout in heaven when our king appears. That amazing picture in Revelation 5, we're going to be there more than once today, where the search is made for who can redeem the earth and who can unroll the scroll and redeem the earth back to God. And 1 John thinks, well, no one is found And he begins to weep. And the one next to John says, stop weeping. Stop crying, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he is able. And Jesus steps out. And the whole place begins to shout and to worship. The God of glory, the God of creation. Who is calling for this worship? It is God. This is God calling for the worship of the whole earth. Why? Because he deserves it. He deserves it. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. So worship this 
These, this first verse talks about the necessity of the, the whole world, the whole earth to worship God. To serve him with their lives. We as believers understand that. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, that whether you eat therefore or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Christians understand that when you are serving, whether it's in your family as a husband, serving your family, your wife, wife serving your husband and your family, or you on your job serving your boss, Ephesians says we're to do it unto the Lord. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as unto Christ. That's why in the marriage vows, when I do a marriage, we're in Ephesians 5.18, and it says, wives... You serve your husbands like he's Jesus. Wow. That's impossible. Why? Because he's not Jesus, right? That's why it says you better be filled with the Holy Spirit. Doing your work is unto God. Husbands, impossible task. You love your wife as much as Jesus loved the church, and you serve her like Jesus served the church. What did he do? He died and gave his life for the church. That's sacrificial love. You need spirit filling for that. When we talk about worship, we're talking about our whole lives. God is owed all of our life, all the energy of our life. That's why when we give on Sunday, it's worship. Because it represents the energy. And so we give the first and the best of the Lord an offering and it's worship. We're not ashamed about talking about giving around here because it's worship. It's our opportunity to worship. God desires us to be like him and be hilarious givers because he gave so much for us. Serve the Lord with gladness. Not with reticence, not with begrudgingly, but with gladness. Now, we live in a culture. Does a culture serve God with gladness? Absolutely not. And yet God has put us here to be the sounding board to call the world to worship. John Piper wrote a book based on Psalm 67, Let the Nations Be Glad. And you hear it here often. But missions exist because worship does not. Our opportunity in sharing the gospel is to bring the, the worship of the one true God to all the nations. You know, communists belong to God. Muslims belong to God. We read it this morning. The earth, the, 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 the earth is, is the Lord's and all that lives and breathes on it. And all the earth owes God worship. In the King James, Proverbs 21.4, it says that God hates the plowing of the wicked. I'm going out and plowing your crops. What is sinful about plowing? There's nothing sinful about plowing. But worship is owed the God of creation to those farmers that go out and use his laws to feed themselves. But when they don't worship, they're stealing from God. And God said, I will not share my glory with another. He hates the plowing, even the plowing of the wicked. Because worship is owed God. I'm sure you'll not get a popular response when you go to a large crowd anywhere and read this psalm and say, listen, all of you owe God worship. But that's what God calls for. 
Make a joyful noise. All the earth, shout joyfully to God. Secondly, serve the Lord with gladness. Thirdly, come before his presence with joyful singing. Joyful singing. What is it there about singing? I don't know, but God has created us. He's given us a whole hymn book, the Psalms. This was Jesus' hymn book, the Psalms. And it's a natural response of a true believer to come to church and sing and worship God. And yet you see so many, especially men, kind of mumbling in their beards. Mm -hmm. Isaac Watts wrote an old hymn, We're Marching to Zion. And there's a phrase in there that says, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. That's right. If you don't know God, there's no reason for you to sing. We don't expect you to sing. But it's amazing to me to find people we had in the church years ago, an old fellow that came, and he would say, I'm just here for the preaching. I don't sing. Well, then understand this, believer. You are in disobedience. Something's wrong with your heart that you don't want to express joy with the congregation over the wonderful grace of Jesus. Do you know why they originally had singing class in public school? So children would know how to sing and harmonize when it came to the worship of God in church. So important. God wants you to express without reservation, without shame, publicly, your worship. That's why it says in Psalm 40, one of my favorite psalms, it says we're to sing a new song. Many will hear and will trust in the Lord. Why? Because you're living your life out loud. Not just going to church and learning some doctrine. Learning some things that, okay, I'm keeping the rules. Got to figure it out. Worship is everything. It's our whole life. That nobody should not be able, anybody around you, it shouldn't take them too long to find out that you are a different kind of creature. Something different motivates you. And the difference ought to be your worship, your praise, your desire to glorify God. There's nothing like it. I love every Sunday morning we gather and sing. But what I really love is when we have our men's ministry feasts, and you get a bunch of guys together that love the Lord, and they sing with all their heart. The roof just goes up a little bit. God loves to hear his people sing. Charles Spurgeon didn't believe in having an organ or anything like that in the church, not because it was against music, but because he thought, and his philosophy was, that God wanted to hear his people sing, not just loud instruments. It's easy to make an, uh, an organ or a guitar loud. But the joyful sound of God's people. That's why when we built this building, and you'll see there are sound panels up at the top here, they wanted sound panels all the way on the ceiling too. I said, no, we're not going to do that. That makes it easier for the sound engineers because they can just control everything with the dials back there. But what this building does is it reverberates your voices. I have been to churches, like I, I think I told you recently, I went to my son Benjamin's church out in California. Good message, preached the word, really good music, same songs we sing, really beautiful People that were, that, that were leading the song had beautiful, strong voices. The problem was they were the only ones singing. Felt like it was Christy, me, and her. 
God wants his people to sing. You are unusual as a congregation because you come together, and what do you do? You hear. And what does that, what does that make you feel like when you hear everybody sing? I know what the worship team tells me because they get to hear all of you. Your voices are coming this way when you sing. And the biggest thing Tom is missing right now, Tom Bryan, his chemotherapy, is he can't be here right now. Oh, he misses the worship. He doesn't feel like he's the one leading. He just gets to be up here, play his guitar, and gets to enjoy your worship. Do you know that Jesus hears and enjoys your worship when the congregation gets together to sing? It's so powerful, so powerful. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. So, don't, so stop thinking, you know, in Wyoming, you know, men are men and the women are too, you know, uh, where, where we all come, we're so tough, we don't have to express ourselves. We're so independent. As believers, we're to be unique. What great blessings, the Bible says, infants just naturally praise the Lord. Wonderful thing to grow up in a home where there's little ones just singing the songs they learned first in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So important that we publicly praise the Lord. Come before him with joyful singing. Secondly, the part of public worship is that we know what we're singing about. Know the Lord. That he himself is God. And that's the message we give to the world. With our whole lives. With our worship. God is king. He's creator. He is redeemer and savior. We ought to be unashamed about that. The world wants us to be politically correct. Oh, don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion. The most natural thing in the world to talk about is the one that gives you the air to breathe. The one that created everything. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. There is no such thing as a self-made man. Years ago, relative of Lynn's, so you know where it's coming from. He was a man that looked at himself as a self-made man. And I went up to the hospital because he's here in Wheatland and to visit him, and I just said, you know, God has blessed you so much. And he corrected me. He said, I want you to know something, Paul. I did this by myself. And I thought, here's a fellow laying in bed, just had open-heart surgery, and he wants to, I kind of wanted to back up a little bit, not be so close. There's no such thing as a self-made man or woman. Who gave you the abilities, even in the womb, that you would grow up to have the talents and gifts that you have. Who gives you the air to breathe every day? No such thing. He is God. And he made us. We don't love him first. We love him because he first loved us. There's so much in worship that is silly today. Because we just want to have a crowd. You know, have good music. It doesn't matter if people sing. Just have good entertainment for people. And... I was listening to Alistair Begg on this subject, and he said that it's so important that our music, that we come together, is knowledgeable, that we know what we're singing about, we know who we're singing to, that we're solemn in our singing. That doesn't mean we're not having joy, 
but it's not silly. I think sometimes when we are teaching children's songs, we get, like to get silly and stupid. That's wrong. It's wrong. There ought to be joy in our music, but there's a, there's a seriousness about it. Because we are people that seriously love our God. And we know that God is God. And he made us. And not we ourselves. And then it says, the ones through God giving the invitation, we are his people. We belong to him. We're the sheep of his pasture. Often a king was referred to as a shepherd. Certainly our king is our shepherd. He leads us. He provides for us. He protects us. We are his people. And the sheep of his pasture, we have no care if it weren't for our shepherd. But if you don't know the Lord this morning, you're on your own. That's fine, I can take care of myself. You know what? I don't care how big and strong you are. I go to a gym where there's monsters there. I love lifting there because even though I'm not lifting like them, it's just an encouragement because they're serious. Some of these guys, I saw a kid pulling like six or 800 pounds off the floor the other day. I'm like, whoa. That's nothing compared to our God. Like so silly. They used to have this deal, I don't know if they do anymore, where they have these Christian weightlifters go around and do big bench press. All right, now just pray for me. I'll get this big bench press. I'm like, that's so silly. How does that compare to the power of the Lord? Nothing. Because those same big guys can be brought down by an unseen flu bug laid out. About the time you think you're so powerful, just direct your life sometime. The Bible says a man plans his way, but God directs his steps because you don't know what's coming the next day. And that's why we love to sing the song, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds my hand, right? We have no power without God. And yet he loves us. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so verse 4, the command is give thanks. That's what we do on Sunday. And we say we anticipate this time every week we can come together with one heart and one voice together, praise and thank our God for all of his wonderful works. That changes us. I like it when my buddy Matt and Nicole get here a little late because... their son Brock made some sit in the front. They got here early today, so they're back there in the regular seats. But Brock loved to sing. He's just a little guy. And I love it when I, when I can see him in the front because he just puts his head back and he sings to God. Not holding anything back. Give thanks to God. Give thanks. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. They ought to be our lifestyle every single day. Somebody comes into your place of business, into your office, say, what a wonderful day, and you say, praise the Lord. What? You see, the world doesn't think like that, but you can. They, they, they have trouble, and you say, well, could I pray for you? <laughs> what? Yeah, I'd like to pray for you. You're acknowledging That our God is powerful, that he's the one, he's the sovereign that's in control. 
And you're worshiping just with your everyday language. There are things that we can do, not just on Sunday morning we gather together, but every day of our lives that we begin to reflect the glory of God. Begin to look for God in those things because he's in all of it, isn't he? Give thanks to him. Why? Because the Lord is good. Bless his name. The last point is you can trust him. You can trust him. The Lord is good. All that we have, every good gift, the Bible, say in, Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, every good and perfect gift comes down from God. John MacArthur says that every human being that lives and breathes on this earth, whether or not they ever accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, experiences a measure of the love of God. The love of parents, where does that come from? For their children, that's from God. The love of children for their parents, where's that? That's from God. Any health that you enjoy, that you get a cut and your body actually heals itself is from God. And I am so thankful for medical technology and all the things that has advanced, but ultimately it takes God, doesn't it, working in our bodies that we heal. The grace of God. God is good, we sing, all the time. We talked about giving thanks in everything last week because even in sorrow God is good because we have that hope that just because it ends here our brother Tim I mean as far as I'm concerned I miss Tim certainly not like his wife or his children but I missed him he was my friend but I wouldn't take back what he's enjoying now from him God is good and as I see my my father drifting into the darkness with his memory problems. I think, you know, in some ways, Tim got the golden ticket. He went out of here in fullness of strength and power. God, it's just time to come home, Tim. For the believer, that's, that's joy. But even in the sorrow, the reason Deb even had that, that whole thing written out for me to read today was because She's so thankful even to this sorrow and the loneliness she experiences at times because God is good and he gives us hope, not just in this life, that one day we'll stand face to face with him forever and forever. The Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. He's never going to stop loving you as his child. It's the amazing thing. You know, it's one thing if we were all like the Apostle Paul and we got saved, hit the ground running, went the other way and just turned the world upside down, but we don't, do we? And here's the amazing part. Even with all your struggles and my struggles and our backups and our stumblings and our sin, he loves you just as much as he loves the Apostle Paul. His love and kindness is everlasting. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, whoever trusts him will never be ashamed. You put your trust in Christ, you'll never be sorry that you did that. Oh, you can put your trust in religion. So I tried that. Well, that was you trying religion. But when you trust his said loving kindness, 
It never, never ends. You know, the wonderful thing about heaven is Jesus. To finally see him face to face. The old gospel song says, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. His loving kindness began before history. As he set his affection on you before the world began, knowing all things would come to pass. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, that it pleased the Father to crush the Son because of those he would win to himself by that sacrifice. That's amazing grace. God is good. And it says his faithfulness is to all generations. And the King James says his truth. Those things are interchangeable. We live in a day and age where a lot of evangelicals, they want to call themselves believers of the Bible, but they want to unloose themselves from the Old Testament and from the stories of miracles in the Old Testament, the miracles of Jesus. Oh, we don't need all that stuff. We don't need the Old Testament. God didn't really, it was just a story about the worldwide flood or how he created six days. Really? How small is your God? The problem is we come to the place in our thinking, and this is not new, man is always like this, we want to make God fit us. And God doesn't fit us. In the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, one of the children asks the beaver, so is he a safe God? So, oh no, he's not safe. He's not a tame God. But he's a good God. And you could depend on his word. What was written four, five thousand, six thousand 6,000 years ago, you can depend on today. And he promised that his word would not return void, but it would accomplish that purpose to which he sent it. In our lives, as we obey it, it's God's blessing. As you choose, in your own volition, I don't need God. I'm not going to serve God. Then it will stand and judge judgment of you that day at the great right throne judgment. Because the Bible says, never changes. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will pass away until all is fulfilled. His faithfulness is to all generations. I'm disturbed when I go places and sometimes in desire for evangelism, you have church experts saying, well, you know, if we just change the message a little bit, um, you know, and then because this generation today, this millennial generation, they're not going to take this right and wrong, true stuff. Listen, they're not the first generation to rebel against right and wrong. And the need they have for Jesus Christ is exactly the need that you had when you came to Jesus Christ. There's not a different way, and there's not a different message. His truth endures to all generations. That's a blessing to us that we can rest in that. It ought to be a motivation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. The gospel is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believes. Worship God. Worship him. Serve him with gladness. Serve him with joyful shouts. Serve him with singing. Worship him with thanksgiving him. Worship with all of your life because he is worthy.
Father, we thank you for your love for us. When we come to a psalm like this and we really take time to look at it, we are so unworthy of even the opportunity of worship, and yet you love to hear your children sing. Lord, change our hearts that we would not be so self-protective, but Lord, we would live our faith out loud for all the world to see, that we would become a reflection every day, every moment of your goodness in our life, that we might learn to speak the truth boldly in love, that Jesus Christ might be seen, or that one day we might hear from you, well done, faithful servant, and then, Lord, in turn, we will worship in our new bodies and our new voices with all of our hearts, giving you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.